0: And even though this is not our text for the day, we always start with a proverb. Today being the fifth, I picked verse two, be, be careful to use good sense and watch what you say. There's a great proverb. Today we're going to continue, we've been in a series studying the life of Paul, and I, I feel like i got to stop for a second, I want to pray over the word. Before I do that, I, I see my sister and brother in church today, Shelly and Dale, welcome, for, thanks for coming. You don't want to be singled out. But this is the big sister who thumped on me my entire time growing up. I survived. It's more like she survived. And um, thanks for for coming today and for letting me point you out. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Anyway, so um, I want to pray. Lord, your word is so special. Scripture even teaches that it is the only thing you honor above your name. And so, Lord, as we just crack open your word today, we make ourselves available to what it is the Spirit would want to do in our souls, because, God, you have such grand hopes for us. In, in the name of Jesus, amen? amen? Amen. So we're continuing in this. We've been studying Paul, and, um, and we've been discovering that God is bigger than just about, not just about, but everything that we face. And um, in the, over the last number of weeks, we've seen that God was, is, was bigger than Paul's religion, bigger than his sin, bigger than his, his blindness, bigger than his past. And where we, when we left off last, he had just gotten saved, and it was pretty an amazing story. And um, he immediately was baptized, and then he took off, and he went out into the Arabian Peninsula for a, a season of training, probably a few years, and, and he was trained not by any man, but directly by God. And um, he, he heads back into Jerusalem, and he's pretty fired up to serve God. And um, he's probably thinking to himself, okay, I've got things, things are squared away, I'm right with God, I've got, I understand things now, I'm launching off into ministry, boy, are things going to go smoothly for me. And um, he has all of these expectations about how things should be. He kind of launches off, and he's headed forward. And um, he's soon going to encounter that things are not as they should be, but they're just the way things are. I think you'll understand what I'm talking about as we go on. I mean, as you think as you think about your place in serving God, in, in serving the Lord, and, 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 and you probably have some expectations. Well, if I do this for God, this is what's going to happen. I mean, we do. And there are some mistaken notions about what it really means to serve God and what it's like when we serve the Lord. And as in everything, we're going to find... Descriptions of that and answers to those questions in Scripture, and we're going to get there in a minute. We left off in Acts chapter nine on our study. We're going to leap forward a number of chapters because the next place there's the narrative about Paul picks up is all the way forward into chapter thirteen. But my goal in in going into this today is, is for us to find out that God is actually bigger than your expectations. He is really, really bigger than your expectation. The simple fact is that when a lot of people start to serve the Lord with their lives, they have an expectation of what's going to happen. And when it's not like that, they get disappointed. They get hurt. And when they find out how hard it is, sometimes they just, you know, it's, it's a difficult realization. And I want to show you that there is a very, very consistent ministry pattern and you'll see it all through Scripture, and Paul does a great job of showing it to us. We're going to see this pattern, and, the, and it's a number of steps. The first, the first step that we're always going to see happen, in it's going to be communication. Communication. It always starts with this. God wants something said, actually said. And with all due respect to living in front of people and lifestyle evangelism, and I think that's all good, and walking it out and showing people around you, at the end of the day, the gospel is actually a message that God wants shared verbally. He wants to communicate it. And um, if you've never ever told anybody about your faith, if you've never communicated your love for Jesus, if, if, if you have never opened your mouth unashamedly and shared the love of Christ with somebody, I mean, that's the essence of what what serving the Lord is. I mean, it comes down to it. God wants us to communicate some things. And the second thing is this. When you do, it's amazing what will happen. The very next thing that will always happen is this. Opposition. You will always encounter opposition. Um, I know this is supposed to be good news. I'm supposed to only tell you things to make you feel better. But I can tell you this. The Seahawks are not playing today. So we're over that, right? Um, but, but every time you share the scripture, there is going to be some opposition. Every time I preach, I sense some opposition. It's spiritual. And it doesn't just start at 10 something on a Sunday morning. This starts when I sit down and say, okay, Lord, let's get into your word and let's see what it is, where you're going to take us over this next season. I mean, I, 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 the enemy knows what it means when the word of God is going to be shared. When the gospel, the enemy knows exactly what that means, there's always, always an opposition that comes against sharing the word of God. And, and if, you, if your expectations are wrong, I pray that you're going to find out that God is actually bigger than those expectations as we as we move along. Maybe Maybe you've served the Lord for a while. You know, maybe you spoke up for the Lord within your family at some point, or you stood up for for God, and you said something that needed to be said, but then, you know, of course, this opposition will show up, and you got disappointed, or you got discouraged, and in fact, I'm sure in this church there are a lot of people here who, a lot of people here who probably at some point you have stepped forward to serve the Lord, and something happened and caused some disappointment, and um, you stopped because of wrong expectations, Okay, so God is bigger than your expectations. So ministry pattern is communications, then opposition, then number three, perseverance. Perseverance. If you'll just not quit, you know, you just keep at it. I mean, I was counting... I kind of go off on these nerdy rabbit trails, and I was, I, I was counting, thinking about my time in ministry. I've been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. Before that, I was, Lisa and I were ministry-minded, and we served in various capacities in our church, but I figure I've been serving the Lord with that mindset and activity for probably over 40 years, and of course, we've been married for over 40 years, so I'm being conservative. So I got 40 ministry years of life, and she's got 40, so that's between the two of us, 80, Okay, then I started thinking about Eric and Lori and the number of ministry years, if you get what I'm talking about. You following me? Yeah. I know you thought, nobody told me if I came to church, is going to be any math. So, okay, so a train leaves Chicago at noon going, okay, we're not doing that. Okay, so I got, between us, 80 ministry years. Eric and Lori have got quite a few ministry years. They've been married decades. And then there's... Um, um, congratulations. And um, And then, you know... Aaron and Beth and Seth and Angie and Rachel. I'm I'm mentioning to you the names of the pastoral staff. And I I started to think in my mind, conservatively, if we add up all of their ministry years together, that's over 200 ministry years. That's a lot. And I know a lot of people here have been serving. You have been serving a long time. You've been ministry-minded and invested in ministry and caring for people. I'll bet you in this room there's over 1,000 ministry years sitting in this room, what would happen if you would have just given up? What would not have happened if somewhere along the line you just said to yourself, I'm not going to share the gospel anymore. I'm not going to be the gospel. I'm just going to go my merry way and ride it out. I mean, imagine if we'd quit every time it got difficult or if we turned back just because, you know, it was hard or it was stretching. I mean, okay, so everybody wants to get to the next phase of, of this process, but nobody wants, you know, to go through one through three. Communications, opposition, and perseverance. The next one is fruit. There we go. There's, the, there's, the, there's what we're going for. If you, you know, if you want to see your daughter come to the Lord, if you want to see your, your, your son give his heart to Jesus, if you want to see your marriage transformed, if you want to reach your neighbor, if you want to, if you, want to um, you know, somebody in your extended family, But you just communicate, and when the opposition comes, you just quit. You're never going to get to the fruit. You're just not going to get to the fruit. We have to persevere. We have to persevere. So we, when we persevere, we bear fruit. And then the ultimate conclusion is this: our lives bring glory to God. That's the process, and and um, and that's why is it like this? Because anybody can start, you know. Anybody can start and stop. Anybody can, you know, take off and then crash i got a model airplane, radio-controlled. I can take off and crash like a champ. I <laughs> mean, I have not figured out the intervening part to keep it up and to land softly yet, so I've kind of given up for a while. I might try it again sometime. But I've, I've got an absolutely crushed airplane in my closet at home. I've got a really nice one in my office here, and I've not taken it into the air yet because I know <laughs> what will happen if I, if I will do that. I just, I mean, but... Any, there's nothing special about launching out. It's about the pressing on, the persevering, that will get you to the fruit. And that's even what Jesus said that would prove you are His disciple. He said in John 15:8, by, "By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be My disciples." That's John 15:8. Communications, opposition, perseverance, fruit, and glory. And we go back and we follow um, Paul through some passages. You just judge and find out whether that pattern is actually what actually happens. So um, to kind of set the context... Um, we left off in in Acts nine. Acts eleven tells a little bit. Barnabas, um, so Barnabas went to to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I, that's not too relevant for what we're talking about today, but I thought it was cool for you to see where we were first picked up the name Christians. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so 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 here's here's something else too. I thought I would spend just a minute on, you know. Are you one that gets your Bible and think? I never get to use the maps. Today's your day. Okay, I thought we'd get the map out. So here's your chance at the map. Now, now, what you're going to see on this first map is the western, um, the western shore of the nation of, of, of Israel. And if you go north from Jerusalem, you'll see um, into uh, Syria, a, a town called Antioch. And um, so there, that's where we're going now. So Acts chapter 13, verse 1. If you've got your Bible, follow along. I always encourage you to have your Bible. I always encourage you to be a student of your Bible because it's the Word of God that changes you. It's the Word of God. Acts 13, verse 1. Let's look for the pattern. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there are some movers and shakers involved in this group. Verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, it's just a historic fact. And um, I, I just would want you to notice that they were called to ministry when they were worshiping. They were called out of the context of worshiping. They were serving God and worshiping. And the Holy Spirit here directs the leaders of the church to release them to minister. And there's a pattern there that, there's a pattern there for us to understand, and I'm not going there today. Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, so they take off. We have another chance to look at the map again. They're leaving Syria. They go west. And they're headed now into an area that before this, the gospel did not exist. Okay? And it's never been here before. So at this moment, the Holy Spirit is changing the course of history. And um, you and I can know the gospel, because of this, this thing that's going on right here. you know, They turned west, and these are real places, and these are real historic actions. And so, okay, so we're going to keep going here, and we're looking for our ministry pattern. And so if that pattern is correct, the first thing we ought to see now would be communications. Okay, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God, and there is the first thing, communications. And notice they didn't start with like a knitting class or going to the chariot drag races, which I would have wanted to do. Um, the first thing they did was they opened their mouth and they shared the Word of God. They shared it in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had, and they had John to assist them. When they'd gone through the whole islands as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, Bar-Jesus. This was our moment. Okay. (laughs) I think we got to do that over again. I want you to understand Bar-Jesus is a bad guy. So if you hear that tone, you'll know this is a bad dude. And they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named (laughs) Bar-Jesus. Okay, so he's with the proconsul. That has nothing to do with preaching the Word of God, okay? It just has everything to do with my immaturity and my love for Star Wars, okay? So he was, verse 7, he was with the proconsul. Now, in ancient Rome, the proconsul was like, um, he would be like a governor of a province. He had absolute authority over the army, the administration of the area, and justice. So he was like, like, um, like, he would be, a combination in the United States would be the combination of the Supreme Court and the President of the United States at the same time. Imagine that. That's the kind of authority this guy has. Okay. And he's being followed around by, um, uh, let's see, okay. He was with the pro-council. This, this, this Bar Jesus, okay. he's with, he's following around, he's hanging out with the pro-council. Okay, so this bad guy is hanging out with this guy who has all the authority in the land, basically. Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. That's an interesting thing. I don't know very many places in scripture. I can't think of any, actually, where a person is described as, as being smart. But anyway, okay, um, um, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the, the magician, that's the same guy. This is Jesus. For that is the meaning of his name. Oppose them. So Paul's sharing... He's sharing with this very influential kind of magistrate, rule, ruler guy. Um, he's telling him, you got to trust Jesus. He will save your soul. He, will, he is the hope of eternity. He will make all the difference for you. And he's being opposed by this, this guy. And now, um, he's saying, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, watch how Saul reacts. But Saul, who is also called Paul... Okay, I know I'm chopping this up a little bit, but I'm so glad to be at this point because for weeks I've been standing up here saying to you, Saul, Paul, Paul, Saul, Paul, who is Saul. This is the last place he's called Saul in the book of Acts. So from now on, (sighs) Paul, okay. All right, it just makes my life easier. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. So here's Paul trying to share the gospel and this bad dude is trying to distract the message and Paul gives him the look. Can you picture that? I mean, my dad had a look. And I knew that look meant this combination of, I love you, I told you, you are on the precipice, held on by one molecule. And my father had a look, and he also had a triangular ruler that Thought its home was right across there sometimes. (laughs) And um, it was an effective way to communicate to me. It was the communications I needed. Love my dad. But he had a look. Some of you know what that look is. You have a look? (laughs) I mean, you know. Okay, Paul is giving this guy the look. (laughs) And here we go. I love this. Okay, and he says, you son of the devil! Okay, by the way, when you say you son of something, that's like saying you have the characteristics of your father, okay? There are other examples, um, you know, of sons of something in, 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 in the scripture. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? Wow! He's kind of not holding back there. I love that. And by the way, you know, he's he's saying, stop it. You 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 know, if, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to serve the Lord in our church or in our community or in your family, you know, one of the worst things you can do is make the gospel complicated. The co- the gospel is not complicated. In fact, we're warned in 2 Corinthians 11 to not to not fall after the snares of the evil one because of and and to forget the simplicity of the gospel. Don't get so sophisticated when you share the good news. Don't, don't, just, it's simple. Don't don't build some sort of theological scaffolding that the Word of God never demands. It's very, very simple. It's it's very simple. And the power of the message is is not in its complexity, the power of the message is in its urgency and its simplicity. It's very, very simple. And Paul's rebuking him because the path of God is like straight. You're making paths crooked. Stop it! He's saying to him, he says, it's simple. It's right straight ahead. Anybody can understand this. You're making it crooked. You're making it complicated. You know, you're an enemy of all righteousness. And he unloads on this guy. He continues his rebuke. Um, He's continuing to press past the opposition here. Verse 11, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. I'm just amazed at what happened to Paul translates to this other magician. Kind of an interesting deal. I don't know where to go with that. It's worth studying. So there's this communication, and it's followed up by some opposition, and Paul perseveres. He doesn't say, oh, man, this guy's, you know, it's too hard here. I don't want to have to overcome this. And I think I'm going to... He doesn't do that. He, He pushes. He presses through. He stands right up to the issue. And so, according to the formula, we ought to see something after this, right? Some fruit, right? Okay. So, here's the fruit. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. Well, of course he believed. He sees a dude go blind. He thinks, I don't want to go blind. I better believe. Is that what happened? Don't think so. That's not what Scripture says happened. Okay? We're going to read this. It wasn't the miracle. It wasn't a miracle, but look at your Bible. It says, the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. If you want to minister, if if you want to make a difference, just remember what it is that really impacts people's lives. It's not the gifted entertainer. It's not the, you know, the wizard guy who can pull a rabbit out of a hat. It's, it's, And it's for sure not even the person who can or cannot do miracles. The impact here is made through the Word of God declared. The teaching of the Word of God. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And I mentioned it early, even even that you'll find in Psalm 138 that that is the only thing, the only thing that God honors even above his own name is his Word. His Word. So there's one example of the pattern. We can keep seeing it. Communication, opposition, persistence, fruit, glory. So here here, it grinds up again. Now they go to a different city named Antioch. Paul's still pressing against opposition or through. They're in a synagogue. Verse 13, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up. And mentioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And he goes on, and it's a kind of a lengthy sermon. And, and um, um, I mean, I'm not going to go into it for the purposes. I'm going to blow past it for this. Part. But the point here is communication. He's sharing the gospel. It's talking. He's sharing it. It always starts with saying something. Now, in the normal course of things, I would just move on and make my point. But there's something pretty cool that happens at the end of this passage. Because... At the end of his message, I want to point this out to you. At the end of his message, he, he's, he's told them who Jesus is. He's told them how Jesus has died for our sins and how he rose from the dead to prove that he's God. And then he, he says, salvation is freely offered to everyone. A really terrific passage. It's, he, he, and he offers it to these guys right then. And it's an awesome message that has not changed today. It's the same message today. It's that freely saved is available today still. Verse 38, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. This man is Jesus. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Awesome! Awesome! I love that scripture. I mean, you should underline that in your Bible. I, I love it. You know, we always circle back to John 3.16 and, you know, Romans 6.23 uh, 6, and Romans 5.8. I love that. That Here's another great example of the gospel. By Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Can you come up with a list of the five things that Jesus can't free you from? Of course not. There is no list of five things that Jesus' love doesn't free us from. It's a, the good news is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what addiction you have. It doesn't matter what failure you fell into. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what, what, what you've struggled with. It just doesn't matter. The good news is that to him, everyone who believes is freed from everything that the law can't free you from. Everything. That's an awesome statement about the power of the gospel. It doesn't matter what your brother is struggling with or your son or your spouse, if they can get to Jesus Christ, they can be free from anything. <laughs> Come on, I'm fired up. I mean, they, anything. Okay, I'm going to have to start doing a happy dance up here or something. <laughs> okay, so he continues sharing the good news. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, the, almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. But and boy, okay, so when you see the word but, you know, there's, here comes some opposition and um, it makes me think you know, considering is that maybe maybe you've been really discouraged because you had expectations of what it would be like to serve the Lord. You know, you're serving the Lord and, and you've been misunderstood and you, you looked at somebody else and you saw like fruit and how effective it was and you didn't really have a sense necessarily of the perseverance that was part of the equation. And uh, you thought you'd just maybe launch out and you'd share something with your family or your friend or your spouse. And th- the Holy Spirit would grip them right then and you'd see this fruit. And instead, you, you say to yourself, I, can't, I cannot believe how hard this is. I mean, I'm swinging the hatchet here and there are no chips flying. And um, verse 45, This here's the thing, you're not going to get to the fruit unless you press past this opposition. You have to persevere. Verse 45, the opposition starts up, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. You catch those two words, I think, did I underline them? To contradict... Them and reviling them. Those two words that contradict basically means a mental argument, using of logic to try to to uh, refute something. And Paul's, you know, Paul saying to this this group, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. He's Savior. He's a Savior of the world. He's the only hope for heaven. And the first thing they did was they tried to contradict him. Well, you know, I don't know. There are other ways. That's too narrow. There's other ways and whatever they're saying. And, of course, Paul has factual information here, enough factual information to, you know, to defeat every one of their arguments. And, and let me just say this, since we're here anyway. Jesus stands alone in human history. He stands alone. There, there is, there's no factual... Objection that can be raised against the historicity of Jesus Christ. There is no factual information that can raise, be raised against the fact that he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. Those are established facts of history. Not just by the Bible. They are established facts. And it always starts with intellectual opposition. And when the intellectual opposition won't hold water, it always gets personal. Personal. That's how it works. You know, it's, it's a fancy word, ad hominem attacks. It means to the person. It's a Latin word. And it always gets, well, when I can't win the argument on substance, I'm going to attack you as a person. And that's what's going on here. They, they contradict him, and when that doesn't work, they start reviling him. And out come the names. It's like, as a parent, you've got a, a strong son, and you've got to stand up to him and say, you know... We just don't do that in this house, and here's why. And you're trying to explain it to them, and you're saying, you know, this is who we are, this is what we stand in, this is what we believe, and I could never support something that I see is going to hurt you, and we're just not going to do that here, and I love you, but we just can't accept that. And when that discussion is over, get ready to hear these words. I hate you! It always gets personal when the factual attack fails. And you know exactly, I mean, just watch the news. You see that happen every day. Verse 45, and they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict, contradict," these are the intellectual arguments. what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Personal attack. So what should Paul do? Shall he fold up his tent and go? I mean, should he just give up here? No. He shouldn't quit because if he perseveres, he'll get through to the fruit. Verse 46, and Paul said, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. Oh, you didn't like it the way I told you before? Well, okay, here it comes. And he's going to get bold now. He says this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Oh, man. (laughs) Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. I wouldn't suggest you use that phrase a lot. <laughs> Man. But in that instance, the Holy Spirit wanted a strong rebuke because the bride at that point, the Jews, God's chosen were refusing the hope of the world. And God said, I've got to make this clear. Check that you know judge yourself and where the verse forty seven for the Lord was commanded the Lord has commanded us saying i 've made you a light for the Gentiles, and this is the exact story about how the gospel got to us, the Gentiles, okay, um, assuming most of us are not Jewish, many of us maybe are, but i mean i 'm a Gentile and i 'm glad the gospel got to me, yeah. that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth verse forty eight And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now there's some fruit. It's an interesting phrase that kind of catches me. It's an important one because there's a point of theology here that I can take just a minute on. Um, And here's the deal. At the end of the day... You and I are just messengers. We're just messengers. The work of salvation is a work of God. Only God can save a soul. Only only God can redeem a lost person. Only God can effectively change a heart. And there are lots of verses that bring this out. Here's a couple, um, Acts 16. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 1 Peter 1, blessed be the... Um, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he caused us to be born again and given us an inheritance in heaven. Romans 8, 29, Ephesians 1. There's a bunch more, and I don't want to go down because that is a giant theological question um, that that opens up other things. I don't want to go there today. Um, But it's really important that as we embrace the Apostle Paul's model of ministry that we see it's not easy to persevere through opposition. It's just not easy. But in the perseverance... We can keep in mind, we should keep in mind that it's God who saves. It's God who persuades. It's God who redeems and changes a heart. And if we do our best and we just remain faithful and persevere and persist, and God will give fruit and get the glory. Back to the word. Verse 49 And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Awesome fruit awesome stuff going on. It came through perseverance. Here's another, one, one more quick cycle through this. And this is Acts um, 13, starting in verse 50. But, okay, here we go. The word but. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. There's a rabbit trail not to go down. But if you believe that women were all second-class subservient citizens, isn't it interesting that the Jews went where they knew influence would matter the most? Both women and men. You catch that? Okay, that's a different topic for another time as well. Um, Stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. So now they've gotten to this season of fruitfulness and lives are being impacted, and they hear this, you know, we're running you guys out of town. We don't want you here anymore. Some of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be silenced in a relationship. Where, you know, you've been shut off by somebody because they just don't want to hear it. And you've been loving and patient, trying and, and what they need to hear about, you know, but they just don't want to hear it. And now that relationship is in a bad place. And you're wondering, what do you do next? Well, of course, what you do next is you persevere. You lovingly Persevered. So they, they, they persecuted Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the city. and And here's what they did next. It's kind of interesting. Verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet. It's like, you know, we have the treasure of life and you don't want this? You judge yourselves unworthy of this? We don't even want to be associated with the dust in this town. You know? And and off they go to a place called Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I wonder if the pattern's going to show up again in Iconium. I bet it does. For the sake of time, I'm just going to do a flyover here. Um, 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke. Here it is. They spoke um, in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But here comes opposition. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. That's one of the worst things that can ever happen when you're serving the Lord. It's when bitter people, harsh people, cruel people, godless people stir up and poison minds. In this case, it's against these apostles The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Watch out for somebody poisoning your mind. Watch out for that. It's um you know, be aware of that danger because that danger is present actually in every church. It's 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 present in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be, but it's there. I'm I'm not saying that because there's stuff like that going on here. I'm not aware of any going on, but it's present, the seeds of that are present in every church. Watch out. Don't let people poison your mind. So what do you do? They're serving the Lord. Good things are happening. Now there's this poisoning thing going on, and they've got to be saying to themselves, what do we do here? This poison's kind of now going on. Do we pack up and go to another church? Do we go to another city? What do we do? Hmm, Well, you persevere. So they remained for a long time. They were going to persevere. We're not afraid of this poison. Speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Lots of fruit, 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 fruit. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. That's so awful when people are forced to take up sides. People should not have to take up sides. They should have been following after what God was doing there. Verse 5, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, and they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, And there they continued to preach the gospel. Way to go, Paul. They persisted through. So we see those steps at work there. It's communications, opposition, perseverance, fruit, and glory. Glory to God. Now in Lystra, there were some miracles, and uh, opposition rose up. And here's what happened. Kind of an interesting anecdote here as we're getting close to the end here. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, Supposing that he was dead. Hmm. I, I, I thought about that. How do you tell if a person who was stoned is actually dead? Anyway, I mean, it's, they believed he was dead. And I wonder if it popped into Paul's mind as they were stoning him about those moments when he was holding the coats for other people so they could stone Stephen. He knows how this ends up. He knows where this goes. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around about him, he rose up and entered the city. <laughs> and on the next day, he went, went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and, and to Iconium and to Antioch. He's persistent. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's the preach thing that I'm not supposed to preach to you—that there are tribulations, and that's part of the deal. And the rest of chapter 14 talks about the fellowship of these—you know, these these very kind people and and their ministry together. And as we kind of close the message today, I I, I want to kind of make this as personal as I can. I mean. I mean you come to church here many of you every week and you love the Lord and and you believe the gospel and probably most all of you have been baptized and and God is doing a lot of things in this church. There's a lot of ministry going on um, that you know of and a lot of ministry that you don't know of. But I want to say this to you um, in transparency. It's not easy. The ministry that happens here doesn't come easy. I mean... There is, among many who lead here, a lot of people who lead here, a price that is willingly paid that you don't know the details about. And there's persistence that's required. I mean, you see me come up here and I just communicate and, you know, maybe there's just fruit. That's not how it works. A lot of people press through perseverance and difficulty. And, um, you know, it's, it's not just communicate and then fruit. It's communications Opposition, perseverance, fruit, glory to God. That is really what happens over and over and over again. And I, I want to make application about that maybe maybe in the church. You know, if you're if, if you serve here as an usher or as you're in the children's ministries, as a teacher, or you're um, you know, you're you work in the youth department, or you put cookies and coffee out for people, or you know, you're a table leader in women's ministries and you care after other women and I want to challenge you that wherever you serve Jesus, you know, whether technical, in your men's ministries, you, know, you pray for people, you're on the worship, I just want to challenge you to persevere, to, to keep going, to keep going. It, 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 you're not going to get to the fruit if you don't press past the opposition. You will never get there. You have to press past the opposition. Persevere. Communication, opposition, perseverance, then the fruit and the glory. And that's what it takes not just in church, but in your family. That's that's what it takes in your marriage. That's what it takes if you are in a persistent state of being single and you're pressing through that hard thing. It's persist. Persevere through that. Because God is bigger, bigger, than your expectations. If you've had wrong expectations and it's hurt you and bruised you, I encourage you to get your heart back in the game and the Lord will be there for you. Let's pray. God, as we bow before you in the name of your son, Jesus, just ask God that you would stir a fresh season of perseverance in our church. Um, and Lord, I want to talk to you about maybe the person who feels like they just cannot go on in their marriage. Help them determine to, to, to be to person Lord. And not, not necessarily to do that for a decade or for five more years, but to just do it today. And then again tomorrow. And it'll turn into a week and a month, Lord, just for your glory. Show yourself strong here, Lord, I pray. Give us strength to take the next step with our family. Give us a, strength to take the next step in in, in some ministry. Lord, give us as a church, as a whole, the the strength to take the next steps. And engrave that on our hearts, Lord. Be bigger than anything that opposes opposes you, anything that we're facing, any discouragement. Lord, the temptations, be bigger than that, Lord. And I want to pray to um, the the Lord, we would not find ourselves be in the place of reviling, where we begin to attack the person because the argument can't be overcome. Fill us with light and with life in the precious name of Jesus. And church, just. Uh...